Our study of Genesis chapter 1 will go from verses 1 to 31. We will, in this first hour, we'll cover verses 1 to 23. 1 to 23. I'll read the passage and then go back and explain. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day. Verse 1. Verse 1 begins by saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From this first verse, we gather a few truths. The first one is that there was a beginning. And when it says the beginning, it means the beginning of time, space, and matter. Before the earth was created, before the heavens and the earth were created, there was only eternity and there was only God. Then God created. He created time, space, and matter. This verse should be translated in the beginning and not any other way. In the beginning, because this is the way the Hebrew language is, and it should be translated that way into English. There are some interpreters who try to make this first verse say, when God began to create. When God began to create, so that it gives room for the earth to exist and matter to exist before God starts to recreate whatever matter was already there. 
So they want to assert that this first verse does not teach that God created out of nothing. But we know from Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, that God did create what is seen out of that which is unseen. He did not create everything we have here from that which is visible, but that which is invisible, unseen. And this is the assertion as well in Genesis chapter 1. There was no earth or land or mass or any kind of matter before this creation. And certainly the Bible does not support the belief that the earth or the universe is eternal. Pagan philosophies and religions conclude that and assume that the earth is eternal, but the Bible does not teach that whatsoever. If you'd like further information on it, consult the previous lecture, the introductory lecture on creationism. Then another truth we see is that God created. God is the creator. He is the only creator. He is the only creator of the heavens and the earth. The angels are not creators in the sense that the Bible means it. People are not creators. Animals are not creators. We are producers or reproducers, but we are not creators. God is the only creator of the heavens and the earth. Then when it says God created the heavens and the earth, we believe that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit created the heavens and the earth. From 1 Corinthians 8, 6, we learn that God created, God the Father created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 1, uh, 12, 9 and 1, 2. Hebrews 1, 2 and 12, 9. That God created the world through Christ. The Father created through Christ. And Hebrews 12, 9 says that He is the Father of the spirits of men. He is our Father and He's the one who created our spirits, our immaterial nature. The Son is the Creator also because we know from John 1, 1 to 3 and John 1 10 that the Son, the Son of God, Christ Jesus is the Creator. He was in the beginning with God and He made all things. Nothing has come into being that has come into being apart from Christ. A further confirmation of this is in Hebrews 1 2 where it says that the Father created through the Son, created the world. And Colossians 1 15 to 17. Colossians 1 15 to 17 that he made all things. The Son of God created all things, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, uh, visible and invisible. They were created by him and created for him. And it says he is before all things. That's the Son of God. Then we know that the Holy Spirit created. Verse 2. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says that the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. The Spirit of God, what was He doing moving or hovering over the surface of the waters, but creating? He was creating, and it's asserted there because it's intended for us to understand that it was all happening by the super intention of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Creator. By the way, in Genesis 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God, there are translators and commentators who falsely and wrongly say that it is the wind of God or a mighty wind that was moving over the surface of the waters. A wind and not the Spirit of God, not the Holy Spirit. The problem is that typically this phrase, Spirit of God, or in the Hebrew, 
Ruach Elohim in the Old Testament is a reference to the Holy Spirit and not to the wind. In that phrase, that expression, Ruach Elohim, Spirit of God. Further confirmation that the Holy Spirit created is found in Job. Job 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And Job 34, 14, and 15. If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. Man would return to dust if God were to withdraw his Holy Spirit. Well, he was formed from dust. And now he would return to dust if the Holy Spirit were removed. And one more place we find in Psalm 102. Sorry, Psalm 104. Psalm 104, 27. 104, 27. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. Their spirit, the spirit of man. If God were to take that away, we would return to the dust. Just as it said in Job. Verse 30. You send forth your spirit, the Holy Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Initial creation and the recreation or reproduction of the earth and all of its produce happens by the Holy Spirit. Creation and recreation all by the Holy Spirit. So in Genesis 1 verse 2, we should translate this as Spirit of God. And from this passage, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, they all are the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Furthermore, when it says God created, this term, this word created in this context, and uh, in this context of chapters 1 and 2, clearly assert that God is the only creator. This term is only used of God as the creator, not of man as creator, not even throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This term is not used. It's only used of God. So we must confirm and assert that only God created the heavens and the earth. Not God plus angels, not God plus men, not gods in the plural, no one like that, nothing like that. Only the true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Furthermore, from the first verse, he created the heavens and the earth. This assertion is explaining that he created the foundation of the heavens and the earth on the first day. The first verse is accompanied by verses 1 to 5, and by the end of verse 5, we have one day, the first day of creation. Whatever God created there in verse 1 is what he is said to create on this first day. Therefore, before there can be an earth, there has to be a foundation of the earth. Before there can be one, there has to be a foundation. And in that regard, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. 
In the beginning, notice that phrase, in the beginning, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. That means that it had to be laid at some point, and it had to be laid before the earth itself, the land and the sea on the earth, contained inhabitants. Whether people or animals or plants, fish, whatever, there had to be that foundation before anyone could inhabit that foundation or the earth when it is filled and formed. As well, it says in Ephesians 1.4 that God chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the earth, which means that the foundation of the earth has not always been around here. God laid it at some point. And if he laid it down at some point, when did he lay it down or construct it? Initially, he did it on the first day of creation. That is the assertion we have here. Next, it says in verse 2, after he laid the foundation of the heavens and the earth, it says, focusing the attention on the earth, that is, the globe that has just darkness and water over it. Notice it says, the earth was formless and void meaning unformed and unfilled. It was unformed because it was just a round object. It was just a globe with water and darkness everywhere. So there's no form and there is no substance. Nothing is filling it. It's void. It's empty. It just has the water. It's empty in the sense that it does not have trees. It does not have animals and people. That's the sense in which it is void. It's not formless and void in the sense that there was chaos, destruction, misery, disease, death, nothing like that. It is saying formless and void in the sense I just said, that there is no one inhabiting it. There are no plants, no animals, no people. Then, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. We said that that was a point in reference to Him being the Creator, the present uh, person of the Trinity there creating and overseeing and superintending all that is happening. Verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Here we see, just by God's spoken word, which He will do repeatedly in this passage, just by His spoken word, the moment He says something to occur or call something into being, it comes into being. It says, let there be light. Let there be light. So the short phrase, let there be light, and there was light. It did not take effort. It did not take energy. It did not take God having to labor for years and years and years. It did not take God scratching his head and consulting other gods or consulting angels or anything like that. It just says that there was, he said, let there be light, and there was light. It happened as God said it. In Psalm 33, Psalm 33 echoes this truth. We read there in Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He created everything by his spoken word. The moment he willed for it to happen, it happened. And verse 4, And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. 
and there was evening and there was morning one day. When God saw the light, he announces that it was good to have light. He first created darkness, and that was also good. But now that God has created a period of darkness and now a period of light, as it says there, there was evening and there was morning one day. When God first created the earth, there was darkness on the earth for a time, for half of a day. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light for the rest of the day. In the Bible, the day starts in the evening and goes throughout the night, and then in the morning, that is the daytime. That is the light time. There is the nighttime where there's darkness, and then there is the light time or the daytime. So half a day of darkness and then half a day of light. The biblical reckoning because of creation and throughout this passage and throughout the Old Testament, the typical way of reckoning a day is to start it at night and then it continues in the morning and throughout the day. That's the way, and even into the New Testament. For example, the body of Jesus, the body of Jesus, they wanted to bury him before the sun set. They wanted to bury him because whoever was crucified or whoever was executed needed to be buried that same day, meaning the same daytime, so that if nighttime came, then it would be the next day in their reckoning. So that's why Jesus was buried while it was still daytime. Furthermore, we need to consider this truth here that there was evening and there was morning. Evening and morning. The Bible is making this assertion throughout this passage and even in other places throughout the Old Testament to make the assertion that this is one regular day. It's one normal, regular day. And that's the same in verse 5 when it says day one or first day. There is one day or day one, verse 8, the second day, verse 13, third day, verse 19, fourth day, verse 23, fifth day, and then we get to verse 31, the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2, the seventh day. There were seven days of creation, seven regular days, seven normal days, darkness, light, Evening, daytime. That's the pattern of this chapter. Evening and morning makes that assertion. The numerals attached to the word day also make that assertion in sequence. These are all arguments and reasons to believe that this happened historically. It happened really. It happened in time and space. This is not mythology. It's not fable and fiction and legend. And there are interpreters who will say, well, this is poetry. No, it's not poetry. This is narrative. It's historical narrative. It's not poetry because we know the difference between poetry and narrative in the Bible. And even the Hebrew uh, translators translating into English know what is poetry and what is narrative. For example, Genesis 2.23, among many examples throughout the book of Genesis and the Old Testament. Genesis 2.23, after the woman is created and brought to the man, it says in Genesis 2.23, and the man said, 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There you will see in your Bibles that there is an indented paragraph for that verse. Verse 23 is not indented the way the rest of it is. The narrative is fuller, but then the poetry part is shorter or more narrow. Is it not in your English Bible? And the reason it is that way has to do with the translators knowing that that's what's going on in the text. In the Hebrew text, and they, uh, um, they represent that in the English text by putting it in, or setting it in poetry. That means that throughout Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 even, we have primarily historical narrative. Historical narrative, not poetry. Furthermore, even if we did have poetry, who is to say that poetry does not convey historical truth? That poetry is not historically accurate. It is that way in the Bible, and it's that way outside of the Bible. In our verse, in Genesis 2.23, Adam asserts what just happened in truth, in fact, in history. On the sixth day, what happened? God created the woman from the man, putting him to sleep, and then creating the woman from his side. And then he asserts that. He asserts the truth of that in poetic fashion. It is not out of the question for poetry to convey what really happened, but say it in a memorable way. Say it in an interesting way. Say it in a curious way. Uh, for example, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. That is a riddle even. That's the curious part of it. That's poetry. It's riddle, a riddle, and it's meant to make somebody curious and figure out what is he talking about. Right. Well, what is he talking about? That is Samson in the book of Judges, Judges 14, 14, when he was presenting a test to the men at the wedding. He was presenting a test to them to see if they could figure out what he was talking about. He was talking about the fact that there was a lion and there was a, a dead lion and there was honey in the lion and he was able to obtain honey from that lion. A dead lion that had honey in it, he got that honey from it. A real incident that happened in that chapter right. and then later he depicts it in poetry or in a riddle. So, poetry itself does not necessitate fable. It can indeed, and does indeed, convey historical details and historical facts. That's what's happening in Genesis in the poetic sections. But this is also narrative. Then, another argument people say, say and use is, well, this narrative has a lot of of symmetry, it has a lot of repetition, it has uh, uh, these phrases, it was good, day one, second day, so forth, it says God blessed them, after their kind, there are certain phrases that are repeated. And so it's not strictly narrative. Well, why not? Why not except that the interpreter doesn't want it to be strictly narrative? Right. That's one. He comes to the text assuming that, practicing eisegesis, bringing and heaping his interpretation into the passage instead of letting the passage speak for itself. It's plain, natural, normal reading. That's one problem. Another problem is that even when we write 
historical narrative. Even when we write historical books, history books, do we not try to make things in order? We, do we not try to have an introduction and a conclusion? Do we not try to emphasize certain points, certain figures, certain names, certain phrases, sure. certain ideas when we read a chapter of a history book? Yes. Of course. Even historians do that. So just because there is some kind of symmetry, some kind of rhythm, it does not necessarily mean that it's unhistorical. It doesn't mean that. And we know from the last lecture, from the Introduction to Creationism lecture, that there are many reasons throughout the Bible to believe that this is a historical account. One example is Matthew 19, Matthew 19, 1 to 12, where Jesus quotes Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24. He quotes Genesis 1, 27 and 2, 24 in order to prove that God created Adam and Eve from the beginning, made them male and female, he brought them together so that they might have a lifelong marital relationship and without divorce. That's what Jesus argued in Matthew 19. If he's to argue that way, he can only argue that way if this is an, a historical account. If it's historical, he could argue. If it's not, he could not argue that way. Then, for, first, for the first day, there are a couple of um, perplexing ideas, if there aren't already. There, were, there are a couple of more perplexing ideas here that people usually ask. One is regarding angels, the creation of angels. Although it does not appear explicitly so in Genesis 1, 1 to 5, I believe, and I, there is a long history of uh, interpretation that asserts the same thing. It's not just me. In the history of interpretation, that the angels were created on this first day, and the texts of the scriptures bear that out. Let's look at a couple of other scriptures, or a few other scriptures. The first one is Genesis 2, verse 1. Genesis 2, verse 1. There we see, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. All their hosts. That is, whatever fills the heavens and whatever fills the earth. Whatever is in the heavens and whatever is... Uh, on the earth, all their hosts were created by the seventh day, or by the sixth day, and then God rested on the seventh day. Another place, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. All that is in them, in the heavens and the earth and in the seas. He created all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We saw earlier in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And in that verse, it's only mentioning the heavens, all their host. 
later in the psalm it will say he created other uh, the, the waters and the earth but there all their host everything that inhabits the heavens God created Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 9 Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 9 6 you alone are the Lord you have made the heavens the heaven of heavens with all their host. Notice that? The heaven of heavens with all their host. The earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. Well, who are the heavenly hosts that bow down before God? The angels. The angels bow down before God and they're the ones who inhabit the heaven of heavens. In the Bible, in the Bible, there are three senses in which the word heaven is used. Three ways in which the word heaven is used. There is the immediate heavens where the birds fly. Jesus said, Matthew 8:20, the foxes have holes and the birds of the heavens have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The immediate atmosphere, just above earth, the dry land, that is also called the heavens in the Bible, or we call it the sky. And some translations will simply say sky. But in the original language, it says heavens. And literal English translations will render it like that, <coughs> heavens. Then there is the heavens where the stars are. The heavens where the stars are. Notice in Genesis 1.14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And verse 16, he made the stars also. Where the sun, the moon, and the stars are, that is also in the Bible called the heavens, the expanse of the heavens. It is there. And then from Nehemiah 9, 6, we see the heaven of heavens where the angels bow down before God that is also called heaven. That's where God dwells and where the angels worship him. This is akin to what Solomon says in 1 Kings chapter 8. In 1 Kings chapter 8, he says, um, verse 8, Chapter 8, verse 12. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. And then in verse 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. 1 Kings 8, 27. There Solomon also acknowledges that there is the highest heaven where God dwells. And we see from Nehemiah 9, 6 that the angels worship God there. Now, Job 38, 7. Job 38, 7. When were the angels created? We said on the first day, but precisely when does the Bible say? Look at... Job 38, and we'll begin at verse 1. 38, verse 1, 1 to 7. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. There, Job is challenged. Job was not there. He was not there when God laid the foundation of the earth, so he should not speak up and say anything. He needs to keep quiet and let God teach him. So, we also see in verse 4 that God laid the foundation of the earth. That must have happened on the first day, as we argued before. And then it says in verse 7, When God laid this foundation, the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Sons of God and morning stars are the same, right? They are parallel. They are synonymous in this verse. Well, who are the sons of God? Or who are the morning stars? From chapter 1, Job chapter 1, verse 6, and Job chapter 2, verse 1, we learn there that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. He came among them, among the sons of God. So the sons of God, or the angels, like Satan is a fallen angel, Satan and the sons of God, they all came to present themselves before God. That means that in Job 38, verse 7, the sons of God, or morning stars, are angels, and they were created on the first day before God laid the foundation of the earth because they were rejoicing right after they were created in the fact that God laid the foundation of the earth. And finally, Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Christ is the creator of all things, not all other things, contra Jehovah's Witnesses. He created all things, and he created visible and invisible things. Angels are spirits, and spirits are invisible. A spirit does not have flesh and bones, Jesus said in Luke 24, 36 to 39. And spirits are ministering spirits. They are invisible. So he created all that which is invisible and all that which is visible. He further identifies these angels in Colossians 1.16 as thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. These are ways in which the Bible describes angels, different kinds of angels. An example of this is Ephesians 6.10-20 when the Apostle Paul is calling on us to put on the full armor of God to withstand all the flaming missiles of the evil one, that is, the schemes of the devil, an invisible spirit. And in so doing, he says in Ephesians 6, 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
the invisible spirits. Christ created them. Colossians 1.16 and Ephesians 6.12, they are the ones that wage war against us. The fallen ones among them wage war against us. They were created on the first day, all the angels. A second, a second controversy and point that we need to clarify has to do with the creation of light. You may have been wondering, if God created light on the first day, then what is it that cre He created on the fourth day? The sun, moon, and stars. What did He create on the fourth day? Well, He created on the fourth day the sun, moon, and stars, as it says. That means that for three days, there was a light that God created that is not the light of the sun. Right. He created a light that is not the light of the sun. People will say, well, that's incredible. That's <laughs> impossible. How could that happen? No way. However, if we believe in a God who is miraculous, this should be no problem for any of us. If we believe the first verse of the Bible, even before the third verse, verses 1 and 2 of the Bible, that God created the heavens and the earth, if we believe that, that itself is a miracle. So if that's a miracle, why can't God sustain the universe with light for a part of the day for the first three days? He can do that. In fact, we'll see other scriptures that show that he has done that, or he did do that, and then several other examples of God's ability to bring about light or produce light as he wills, instantly, miraculously, as he wills. The first one is to confirm that God did create light, as it says here in Genesis chapter 1. The first one is Psalm 74, Psalm 74, 16. Psalm 74, 16 says, Yours is the day, yours is the night. You have prepared the light and the sun. You have prepared the light and the sun. Why does he say the light and the sun? That fits our sequence here in Genesis chapter 1. The light, he prepared the light and he prepared the sun. I don't think he's talking about lights in the plural or the moon or the stars. Perhaps so, but it seems to me that the sequence, the light and the sun, fits Genesis chapter 1. Even the terminology fits Genesis 1 when it says the light, when he created the light in the singular and the sun. Then, further examples of God creating light miraculously as he chooses without the light of the sun, without the power of the sun. Exodus 34, Exodus 34, 29 to 35. Exodus 34, 29 to 35. And what is it that we have here? We have Moses entering the tabernacle, and when he entered the tabernacle, it was so brilliant and radiant there in the tabernacle that it emanated and came upon him so that when he left the tabernacle, that light of God that he met there in the, the tabernacle radiated outside of the tabernacle and he had to wear a veil. Notice, it says in 
34, 33. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. He put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Outside, the people could not look on Moses unless he wore a veil because his face was so radiant and glorious and brilliant because he had been in the tabernacle and God's light, God's brilliance, radiated and was fixed on his face. Another example of that is Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40 and verse 35. 40, 35. The Shekinah glory, called Shekinah glory because it's the glory of the dwelling place, that which dwelt in the tabernacle and that which dwelt in the temple, the temple that Solomon built. It says in Exodus 40, we'll start at verse 34. 34 and 35. When the then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This glory filled the tabernacle, and it was so overwhelming, he at this point was not even able to go inside. This was the Shekinah glory of God. Furthermore, Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. These we'll just point out quickly because these are familiar ones. Matthew 17, verse 2. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened to Jesus? Matthew 17 and verse 2. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Instantly, miraculously, God produced that miracle, temporarily. And Acts 9, Acts 9, 3, and then there are some more cross-references in Acts 22, 6, 22, 9, 22, 11, and 26, 13. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, we read of what overwhelmed Paul. And it says, and it came about, Acts 9, 3, and it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around them. A light from heaven flashed around them suddenly. And we know from this narrative later on that it blinded Paul, right? And Paul needed to be healed of that blindness because that light was so bright. And lastly, we have examples of there being only light, the light of God for all eternity. For all eternity, there will only be the light of God, not the light of the sun. The first example of that is Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, verse 19. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will set no more, neither will your moon wane. For you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be finished. That's a key. 
the days of your mourning will be finished. Let's cross-reference that to Revelation 21. 21 verse 4, 21, 23, and then 22 verse 5. 21 verse 4, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, the first things have passed away. Revelation 21, 23, And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And 22, 5, And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Well, I think that there is plenty of biblical testimony to the fact that God is able to produce light however He wills, or whenever He wills. He can do so. So this is what had to have happened on days 1 to 3, before the light of the sun. Let's move on to day 2. Day 2, verses 6 to 8, we have day 2. On the second day, it says in verse 6, Then God said, Let there be an, exp an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. This expanse between the waters below and the waters above. There was water all over the globe, all over the earth. Then God said that He's going to put some of that water above the expanse, above the open space. He's going to put it above that and some of it below the expanse. By expanse, we do know He's talking about open space, not anything else, because of verse 14 is another example and confirmation. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. The lights in the expanse of the heavens. There is the immediate heaven, the atmosphere, where the birds are and fly, and there was water above that. And then there's another heavens, where the sun, moon, and stars are, where it's, it says in verse 14 that these reside, or these are placed in the expanse of the heavens there in outer space, what we call outer space. That's what God did on the second day. He separated waters, creating two sources of water, and then in between, an expanse, empty space. Then, verses 9 to 13. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. On this third day, God took all of the water that was on the earth and made it reside or made it collect in one place so that there would be dry land and that there would be water. So now we have water and dry land on this third day. Then he gives them names. Verse 10, And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Note here that the term earth can have different meanings. Even in Genesis 1, it has different meanings. The term heavens can have different meanings. Even in Genesis 1, it has different meanings. It depends on the context. So to specify and to distinguish, in verse 10, he calls the dry land earth 
and the gathering of the waters he called seas. There are different ways to identify certain objects, and God is identifying these objects in these ways. The waters are called seas, and God saw that it was good. It was good for him to do that because he is building up to what he wants to do ultimately on the sixth day. Then, what will happen on the dry land? He says, verse 11, Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind, with seed in them on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning a third day. On this third day, not only does he separate and make the seas and the dry land, on the dry land, he announces that he wants vegetation, he wants plants having seed in them, and he wants fruit trees bearing fruit after their kind. He wants these three kinds, and they happen just like that. As he spoke, therefore it existed. Immediately it came into being. We see here for the first time, but not the only time in this narrative, that it says, after their kind. He made all of these kinds, these three kinds, the vegetation, the plants yielding seed, and the trees bearing fruit with seed in them, he made all of them to reproduce after their kind so that vegetation produces vegetation. Plants with seed will produce plants with seed. Fruit trees will produce fruit trees. Fruit trees will not produce herbs. Fruit trees will not produce rabbits. Fruit trees will not produce humans. Fruit trees will not produce rocks. No, no way to mix any of this or make a smaller form of life reproduce and come into a greater form of life. Nothing like that. The Bible does not say that and teach that at all. In fact, humans reproduce humans. Animals reproduce animals. And it does not happen in the other way. There are people who assert that this happens. Evolutionists, old earthers, various names that are given to them, but actually this cannot and will not happen. Just like it is impossible for an idiot to become intelligent. Just as it is, it is impossible, the Bible says, for an idiot to become intelligent. It will not happen. Job 11, verse 12. Job 11, 12. An idiot will become intelligent when the foal of a wild donkey is born a man. It's impossible for a donkey to be born a man or a donkey to produce a man. It's impossible for that to happen. In the same way, idiots will never become intelligent. Genesis 1, 14, 14 to 19, the fourth day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Here too, God says, let there be. And then there is the existence of the two great lights. The greater light, that is the sun, and the lesser light, that is the moon, and all the stars. He made all of these on this fourth day in the expanse of the heavens, in outer space. He made all of them 
on the fourth day. And what is their purpose? Their purpose is to be signs, seasons, days, and years. Their, their purpose is for us to keep a calendar, right. to keep track, so that we might know when the various seasons come and go, when the various years come and go, to be able to determine and to calculate the age of this or that, and even ourselves, our own lives. Right. This ability was given by God from the very beginning because that's the purpose of the sun, moon, and stars according to this verse. Not only verse 14 for that purpose, but notice also in verse 14, to separate the day from the night. To separate the day from the night. He expands on that in verse 16, 16 and following. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. The greater and the lesser. The greater one, the sun, it rules in the daytime, and the moon, the lesser one, rules in the nighttime, and the stars as well. And then verses 17 and 18. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. He made these objects to govern the day and to govern the night to have immediate consequences, immediate access to the light of the sun and the light of the moon and the stars at night. There are critics who say that it takes a long, long time for light from the sun to reach the earth, the light of the stars to reach the earth. Therefore, the earth must be billions of years old, four and a half billion years old and the universe 14 or 15 billion years old. They say, because we know it takes so long, therefore, the earth could not be a mere 6,000 years old. That's the way their argument goes. If we assume that it does take a long time, this passage actually says that God created this, these lights to be immediately available, immediately accessible, immediately beneficial in the daytime and in the nighttime. So the light was already here when God first created it. So however long it takes is irrelevant. However long it takes is irrelevant because it was immediately available on this fourth day. It says, let there be, and then verse 15, and it was so. And what was the purpose of letting them be or letting them come into existence? To give light and to govern the day and to govern the night. That's why they came into existence. Then the fifth day, verses 20 to 23. 20 to 23. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth and there was evening and there was morning a fifth day on this fifth day God supplies God fills both the waters and the air he filled the land earlier and now he's uh, with uh, vegetation on the third day and then he will, on the sixth day, fill the land with animals and man. But right here, on the fifth day, he fills the waters and he fills the air 
with the birds and with the sea creatures. He, it even says he created the great sea monsters. That word hasn't been used before until from verse one, from verses 1 to 21. Perhaps it's used here to show us, to teach us, that even these huge creatures or monsters in the sea are the creation of God. The creation of God. And also we see repeatedly that they are to reproduce after their kind. That means that there is no fish that's going to become a reptile, an amphibian, and then a mammal, or anything like that. No sequence like that is going to happen. It is after their kind, whether birds or whether sea creatures, after their kind. Furthermore, God intends for us to always have many of them. Because it says in verse 22, God blessed them. First time that word is used. God blessed them. The blessing of God in the command of God produces offspring, numerous offspring. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. When God blesses, as he does here on the fifth day and then he will do to man on the sixth day, when he blesses, the blessing, the first blessing he gives is to reproduce abundantly. Reproduction is therefore not a disease, not a sin. Right. We, we should rejoice in it and understand that it is the blessing of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.